All right, welcome back. Um, we, I've only got 30 minutes to do another big section, so uh, rhetorically, I bet it was hard for some groups to figure out uh, how to start practicing, and uh, some of the groups, maybe it was really easy and you had fun and started kicking out ideas, um, and some groups probably struggled with my guests, be, be very difficult to figure out what, what, do you, what do you do, where do you start? Uh, and so one of the things, that, the way we designed this book that Michael Rhodes and I wrote, is there's one chapter describing what the Bible says and suggesting big ideas. And there's a, a chapter that follows that gives all kinds of ideas of what people are already doing, practicing these, practicing these things, or also ideas of where, where you can start. And here's an important principle about a book that focuses somewhat on practices. You start somewhere. You start small. You start somewhere, and that's how good habits and good practices are formed. Uh, you don't, uh, if you are going from being an offensive lineman to a triathlete, uh, you probably shouldn't run that first Ironman within the first three months, right? You got to take steps. And so uh, learning new things or learning to apply what you know and what you love in new ways uh, takes process. And so you got to start somewhere. And that's one of the recommendations that we make in the book over and over again is just start somewhere in your being generous, start with five extra dollars a month. Uh, in creating space for other people, start with one person in one specific task and then let it grow from there. Uh, so that's one response to maybe how your discussions went. All right, uh, today in this session, I want to talk about uh, equity. And so I'm going to push us further, uh, not only in creating work that people can step into, to earn money for themselves, but actually figuring out ways to give people a stake in the community. Actual equity, the factors of production, not just money off the top, not just access to work to earn money, but factors of production, uh, sharing assets. Uh, making sure that people uh, in our places have a stake in the community. The whole community is healthier when the, the majority of people have a stake in the community rather than just a few. So uh, let me say a brief prayer and we'll dive into that. Father in heaven, would you help us see that you're so generous and gracious and kind that not only do you work to give your people our own vines and fig trees, but you even work among us so that we can say to one another, come sit under my vine and my fig tree. Would you help us experience your grace together now in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read some scripture before that. Let me tell you a quick story. Uh, a, a friend of mine, I've met him once or twice, but really a friend of Michael Rhodes, my good friend, there's a guy named Donald Jenkins uh, in Memphis, who's Michael's good friend. Uh, Donald Jenkins was like my friend Ricky. Uh, he was homeless and struggling with addiction. He went to this community development center in Memphis called Advance Memphis, and, and he started getting some basic help, some relief level help. And then he began to get, de to get developed a little bit, and he went through their job training program, and he eventually got a part-time job and uh, he had to work really hard to show up every day because he was so afraid of failure. Then he was offered a promotion, and he turned it down 
because he was massively afraid of failure. That's pretty much what he'd been his whole life. That's what his family and his community had told him that he was. So the people at Advanced Memphis that created the staffing agency really worked with him, really told him that they would support him, told him that he could do it, that he was designed to be a worker, that work was good and he was made in God's image, and they had what it took and they would support him until he believed it about himself. So he eventually got the full-time job with benefits, salary and benefits. This guy, a couple years before, was living on the streets in drug addiction. Now, after lots of training... Lots of investment in training and relational and emotional support. He got the full-time job with benefits. Uh, one of the ladies, her name is Juanita, who works for the staffing agency at Advanced Memphis. She had to meet with him or talk to him on the phone every, almost every day to talk him into not quitting. Because his overwhelming fear of failure, of losing his job, of going, being pushed further back down into shame... And so they had to work really hard. Well, eventually he kept that job and just did really, really well, held it for years. And he began his own mowing business on the side on Saturdays, just make some extra money. So he's just doing really, really well. And then I have a friend named Hal Bowling who started this thing called Launch in Chattanooga, which helps minorities and women start businesses. And, and so it spread from Chattanooga all around North America, and it got to Memphis to advance Memphis. Michael Rhodes' friend, Donald Jenkins, got in the launch class to learn how to run an effective business. He's still doing his full-time job with benefits, and he is doing a pitch at the end of the class. This is a 10-week training thing about entrepreneurship, taking some of the poorest people in the city, people that have the least resources, and training them to start their own businesses. Most of these businesses will not be like take care of all of life. They'll just kind of enhance your part-time job or whatever. And so he goes to the entrepreneurship class. At the end, he's giving his pitch, trying to win uh, a little bit of a grant, and he's just stumbling through it. He's doing a terrible job. He can't put his words together. He can't really explain why he wants to start the business. And his wife's in the room, and she sees him stumbling, and she says, Donald, tell him about the jobs. And he gets, comes to life. He says, oh, yeah, the reason I want to create this business is I want to create work for 100 people in our neighborhood. And everyone erupted and cheered because once he remembered his own vision, he became very animated, and it resonated with the community that knew that their unemployment rates were terrible. So what Donald has done now, he went through the launch class, and on top of his full-time job, this formerly drug-addicted homeless man, married, I left that one important part, uh, a pastor in the neighborhood reached him, he became a believer, um, stayed married, got the training, got the job, got the benefits. On top of that, last year, his lawn care business, which is the side gig, made $23,000, and he hired a dozen people part-time to, to make work. Unbelievable. And so what he's growing into is not just someone who's getting a paycheck, but he has a stake in the community. As a matter of fact, uh, people see him all the time around the city with his lawn care business and the people working for him. And Michael Rhodes has two sons whom we love, uh, Isaiah and Amos, and there are days that Michael Rhodes, who helped me write this book, his sons dress up like Donald and go out front and pretend like they're mowing their yard because they see him as a model of the kind of person they want to grow up and be. That's beautiful, wonderful. All right, so let's read some scripture that will help us 
uh, think like this. First of all, would someone read out loud 1 Kings 4, 20 to 25? This is a description of the kingdom when Solomon was reigning and things were great before they fell apart because he didn't keep Deuteronomy 17. But anyway, this is the part uh, where things were the way they're supposed to be uh, under Solomon rule, Solomon's rule, the, great, the son of David, temple builders. Will somebody read that? 1 Kings 4, 20 to 25? Thank you. So hear that description, the, the very last part there in verse 25. There's uh, a metaphor that was probably pretty close to literally true because of the peace and the expansion of the borders, the safety and security. Here's the description of the security, the shalom, and the economic security of all of God's people under the good king uh, at this point, Solomon. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan to Beersheba, Every person under his vine and under his fig tree. You hear that description? Uh, They lived in that uh, beautiful security and prosperity. And they each had a stake in the land. Everyone lived under his own vine and under his own fig tree. Now, if you have your Bible, turn to Micah 4. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Uh, This is uh, after, you know, the kingdom splits um, after Solomon, right? You know that uh, if you read 1 Kings 10 and 11, the author of 1 Kings 10 and 11 had Deuteronomy 17 lying there, the law of the king, because uh, the king of Israel is not, is not supposed to take many wives for himself, not to take much gold or silver, and certainly not to take uh, war horses, especially not chariots from Egypt. And you read 1 Kings 10 and 11, and what does Solomon do but acquire many wives and concubines, so much gold that no one cares about silver during Solomon's reign, and, of course, lots of military power. And uh, horses, and especially horses and chariots from Egypt. So he smashes Deuteronomy 17. The kingdom ends up falling apart, uh, dividing into two kingdoms, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And there's all kinds of wicked leadership uh, on and on and on. And every now and then, a righteous king pops up for a little while. Uh, but it's a pretty grim picture of how the kingdom dissolves because they didn't worship Yahweh Think about the law of the king and Solomon's reign. And think about how our culture is eaten up with the idols of money, sex, and power. The very thing God said in Deuteronomy 17. Hey, if you're given the leadership of my people, I want your king to be one of your own brothers. He's one of you. Not a foreigner. He's one of you. He's just one of the guys. But he shall not use that privilege to acquire or to feed the idols of money, sex, and power. And so the idols of money, sex, and power end up destroying Israel, and God's people are divided. One reason they go and worship other gods, right? This is a worship issue. Why do they go and worship the gods of Baal? Do you think that Baal just had really spiffy statues? No, they thought that Baal made it rain. They thought that Baal brought the babies. So if we're going to have a good farm and enough people to work it, if we're going to have a productive land and enough people to defend it, uh, we definitely, oh, we're Yahweh's people. Praise the Lord. Lord. Give thanks to Yahweh. And of course, we need to give Baal some attention and all the other gods too, even Chemosh. You know, one of David's grandsons was burned as a sacrifice to that vile, fake God. Um, and that says a lot to us about our culture, Right. Uh, we see people, we see children sacrificed to false gods all the time in our culture. 
Um, but here's Micah 4, 1 through 5. So here's what Yahweh says to his people after uh, this disaster and with the promise of what's to come. Micah 4, 1 through 5. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established as the highest of mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and Yahweh's word from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they... Strong nations far away, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O Lord, bring that day in its fullness. Verse 4, but they shall sit every person under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. The way the kingdom was when Solomon was reigning will be brought back, but it will be brought back under a better king. For the mouth of Yahweh of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of Yahweh our God forever and ever. It just gives us a great angle on our culture, doesn't it? People are walking in the name of uh, particular gods in our culture. And they're not hard to name. Obviously, our culture worships idols of money, particularly sex and power. We see it everywhere all the time. And uh, it's, we've been discipled by people that live under the name of those gods. And that's impacted us. And it's impacting our children. But here, what Micah is saying is, uh, when the king comes, in the latter times when the kingdom is restored and renewed, what will happen? It will be like that Solomonic kingdom Though better, and every person will sit under his vine, under his fig tree. Here's part of what God promises about the kingdom when it comes in its fullness. Economic equity. A stake in the community. Everyone will sit under his own vine and fig tree. Now think about the generosity of God from that picture. The whole creation is his. There's not one thing that doesn't belong to him, but this is what God says, when my kingdom comes in fullness, I am the all-generous God who gives equity, who gives my people a stake in the community. Every person will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one shall make him afraid. Uh, in, this, in the last session, uh, we said the people of God, uh, we're free to think like this. Uh, pe- we can include people in our homes, and our businesses, in the life of our church, uh, so that they are being brought into the community and they have roles to play that benefit them. And they have access uh, to work by which they can feed themselves. They have access to work whereby they can earn a paycheck. They have access to work whereby they can buy their own clothes and buy their own groceries. This is beyond that. This is saying when God's kingdom comes in its fullness, people won't just have access to a paycheck. They will have access to equity. They'll have access to the factors of production. They'll be able to have that that which produces the productivity. They'll have real assets. 
And so that's, uh, we are now God's people who have already been rescued from a kingdom of darkness and brought in the kingdom of God's beloved son. Our debts have been canceled. Our sins have been forgiven. We belong to God. So we're now free to imagine ways to bless our cities, to bless our neighbors, to think of ways not only to make sure they have access to work, to buy stuff, but are we, we're free under the generosity of God to work in such a way that, the, that our neighbors and the neediest have access to the means of production, not just to paychecks or not just to handouts. So relief, right? I have it, you don't. You need it right now, let me give it to you. Development, let me give you a shot at work. Let me give you a chance to operate in the field so you can provide for yourself partnership. I have a stake in the community. I want to see that you have a stake in the community. So together, we make this a community of flourishing. You see the, the growth there of the concept. Uh, this is the, what the people of God are free to do. Here's a deep motivation for it. Uh, I'll read out loud to you Zechariah 3, 9 through 10. You should read uh, Zechariah. It's wonderful. In chapter 3, there's that wonderful vision uh, where Joshua the priest is in the heavenly places and he's filthy, right? And in, in the vision, uh, uh, it said, hey, take the filthy clothes off him and give him uh, the right clothes that he needs to be in God's presence. This is a beautiful picture. And then in verses 9 and 10, Listen, the image of vine and fig tree comes up again. In, in 1 Kings 4, when Solomon reigned, everyone sat under his own vine and fig tree. Micah 4 says that's going to happen again. In the latter days, everyone will sit under his own vine and fig tree, and no one will make him afraid. But listen to Zechariah. I'll read the second half, the end of verse 9 and verse 10, just to fit inside my time frame. Yahweh says, I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Now, when was that ultimately fulfilled? (laughs) Of course, when his own son in our humanity gave himself up for our sins on the cross. That which rescues us from the present evil age. Uh, That which gives us access to the kingdom. Uh, We don't deserve to be in the kingdom, but we're given it, granted it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God says, I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. If you understand the heart of the gospel, then you understand that God invites us to practice generous hospitality. That we welcome our neighbors under our own vine and fig tree. Um, I love this use of this trope of the vine and the fig tree, this motif. Um, and it, this, this last verse in Zechariah 3 reminds us of the connection between God's loving, gracious, forgiving work and God's plan to give us not only spiritual security, but holistic security to secure us as people, his image bearers living in his world, because that reminds me of the year of Jubilee. Right? Remember the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25, uh, where God acknowledges, look, some of you are going to have bad years and bad decades. We're going to lose access 
to their land and they're going to have to sell themselves as bonded servants to their neighbors so they can feed their families. Maybe it's because of pestilence. Maybe it's because of laziness. Maybe it's because of who knows what, a death in the family. There's all kinds of reasons that could put a family in a position of poverty where they would have to uh, glean, receive the tithe, do all these things, but also they'd have to sell their, their, their crops or their labor to their neighbors so that they could have enough to eat to feed themselves and their families. But as you know, after seven cycles of seven years, in the 50th year, everyone, even if they had completely, if they'd gone into the deepest levels of poverty, what did Yahweh do in the year of Jubilee? He restored them to their inheritance rights. Even if that person had lived very unwisely for decades, they were restored back to that original equitable distribution of the land. It was a massive reset button in the history of Israel where people that were destitute and poor for whatever reason in the 50th year were brought back and they would have received their own family inheritance, their own land again. And it was not to be sold in perpetuity. Why? Because the land belonged to Yahweh himself. And I love, uh, let me just read you a little bit of Leviticus 25. We're going to look at the first seven verses tomorrow morning in worship, uh, the sabbatical year. But here's the, the jubilee practice after seven cycles of seven years. Uh, in the 50th year, I'll read verse uh, Leviticus 25. 8 and following, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so the time of the seven weeks of years, uh, so at, sorry, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then, verse 9, love it. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. Oh, yes, that is the day of atonement. You shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, a trumpet blowing year for you, when each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan. That is, each of you shall sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. You can't work the production side or the harvest side, but you can eat every day. In the year of jubilee, verse 13, each of you shall return to his property. In the year of jubilee, in the 10th, on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, when the horn blows, reminding you that Yahweh has a system, a way to wipe your sins away. Yahweh has a priesthood that makes sure that your sins don't count against you. On that day, everyone goes back and sits under his vine and his fig tree. Zechariah presses it forward and says, on the day that God will wipe away the sins of this whole place, on that day, every one of you will not only have your vine and fig tree, be restored to equitable life, but you will practice generous hospitality. Every one of you will say, come sit under my vine and my fig tree. I think what we can see uh, from these practices is what God invites us to do. Remember the kingdom. The kingdom has come. 
It is coming. It hasn't arrived in fullness yet. So we live in this tense complexity of life. And what we're invited to do in the present is figure out all kinds of ways, new practices, new styles of life that bear witness to the kingdom that's not fully here yet. When the kingdom fully arrives, everyone will sit under his own vine and fig tree. And so in the present, since we're the rescued people of God in the present, as the kingdom is growing, it's our privilege to bear witness to what the kingdom will be like in its culmination, in its consummation. So you and I are, I'm I'm choosing these words quasi-carefully. You and I are invited together to live lives right now that look foolishly absurd to people whose imaginations are captured by the present kingdom, which is going nowhere, whose time is limited. And we're invited to maybe do some new things, new practices that look foolish in this age, but in the age to come, they are seen and celebrated as wonderful, beautiful, life-giving wisdom. I'll, before we do our hour of... What time is it right now? Yes. Before, before we do our hour of silence, and here's a verse I would ask you to meditate on. It's in 1 Corinthians three eighteen. This might help you during your, your time of silence. 1 Corinthians three eighteen. an hour of silence and solitude. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Now you have to understand that behind that statement is like what we read in Galatians 1, 3, 4, and 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins To rescue us from the present evil age, right? We've been rescued from the present evil age. Those that are captivated by the wisdom of the present evil age, their, their wisdom, their practices are limited. Limited by the standards of this age. Limited by the resources interpreted, understood according to this age. But the people of God who've been rescued by the love of God and are now citizens of the age to come and the kingdom of come, the kingdom to come, you and I are liberated to live lives that will look foolish according to the standards of this age. Some of our neighbors will tell us that won't work. That should not be done. But when the king arrives, it's the kind of folly now that the crucified, risen, ascended king at his return will look at us and say, well done. Good and faithful servant. Just look at the language there after verse 18. 1 Corinthians 3.18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Look at the next phrase. For all things are yours. Ah, how can you live in the present a life that will look foolish 
to your neighbors who are entrapped in the present age. If you know that all things are yours. Jesus Christ, who paid for your debts on the cross, who rose again and is the rightful heir of all things, are you not co-heirs with Jesus? In the age to come, when Jesus comes back and consummates the kingdom, he's the heir of all things, and he is going to share his inheritance with you and me forever and ever and ever. So people that believe that are free to lose and fail and act foolishly in the present age. For we truly are citizens of the kingdom of God and the age to come. Let me pray and send you into an hour of silence and solitude. O Lord, Holy Father, we regularly pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth in our homes and families, in our cities, in our churches, even as it is in heaven. Since you've made us citizens of heaven, would you help us in this hour of solitude to reflect on the wisdom you've given us? Would you open our hearts and allow us to see that your generosity is beyond measure, that we truly are wealthy, that already we have everything, And in the age to come, we will have it not just by faith, but even by sight. In the new resurrected new heavens and new earth with Jesus, our King. So in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit, would you help us this hour to take stock of all that you've given us? And would you convince us so deeply in our heart of hearts of your gracious generosity to us that we would long to find crazy, shocking ways to show off your generosity to our neighbors and to our enemies, that they might be welcomed into a community of generosity and kindness, that they might come and meet you. Oh, Lord, would you help us work that our neighbors would have their own vines and fig trees? And until that moment, would you help us practice generous hospitality and invite them to come under our vines and fig trees? Help us in this hour to quietly remember that you're the God that has said, come under my vine and fig tree. Help us now through the word and the spirit in this hour of silence. In Jesus' name, amen.